we've talked on the podcast before about using Shakespeare in prisons, but we've never heard about theater that's been created by the incarcerated or the formerly incarcerated. And But now I'm talking to my friend Jarrell Henderson, who's a director and a teacher who's working on a production called Caged that is was created by, um, well, you tell me, how did this play come about? Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. Thanks for subscribing, streaming, or downloading and listening to us on your computer or tablet or phone. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, number 594, Caged World Premiere. My friend Jarrell L. Henderson is directing the world premiere of Caged, written by the New Jersey Prison Cooperative at Passage Theater in Trenton, New Jersey. I met Jarrell when we worked together at Looking Glass Theater in Chicago, and we were talking recently about a subject he teaches called the history of blackface. But when he told me about Caged and that it opens this week, I asked him to tell me how Caged was created, how it's being transformed on stage, and how he came to be involved. So this play has been in the works um, for a couple of years now. I was just brought in in January. Um, so uh, interestingly enough, as director, I was the last one to be brought on board. But it, it had been being workshopped. You know, a friend of mine uh, became artistic director for Passage Theater Company there at the Mill, the Mill Hill Playhouse here in Trenton, New Jersey. That's where I am right now. And so she kind of inherited this play about, you know, this kind of African-American guy who gets sucked back into the prison system. Uh, but it had kind of been workshopped. It had been workshopped a couple of times uh, in New York, in New Jersey, with the former artistic director and the people who were trying to put it together. Uh, it was based on a class that was taught by a man named Chris Hedges. He's a uh, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, and he, in watching how the men responded as they were putting it together, he saw an opportunity to showcase them in terms of you know allowing allowing others access to them as human beings, not just as people who had been in jail, but people who, you know, can have something meaningful to say or who can share some of the things that they've learned while they've been on this journey. He saw an opportunity for that. So he went, he said, you know, I'll see if I can get this produced as a play. And so he connected with the theater company that he knew of, which was a, a passage here in New Jersey. And, uh, they begin to put it together because there's so many writers. There's, you know, like 30 plus writers on this because it was you know, it's written by a group of inmates in this prison, some female, but mostly uh, men. Uh, and then it was just a matter of like, how do we put this together and what does it mean? And so one of the best things about bringing me in, um, you know, you know, you know a little bit about my training because uh, you work with some of the people who've trained me. Right. You know, so, you know, and when I was here for the workshop in January and, you know, you got so many you got so many scenes and some of them work really really well and some of them don't work well at all and it's like okay well what story are we telling what's the story like like at the end of the day whose play is it yeah and what's going on and so the second day um i i kind of did some analysis work and the second day i walked in and i, I just like all right i'm just gonna read a paragraph of what i wrote this morning and you'll let me know and so i read this paragraph about you know the system and radical love there's radical love is the concept that you are showing love beyond the re any reasonable reason to show love you still do because um and so the situation of radical love that's given primarily by his mom um but is extended even into the system 
um, versus the system, which is, you know, this really predatory. I mean, we know how the American prison system operates. It's incredibly predatory and it mostly preys on people of color and young people of color. And so there's so many ways in which you can get sucked into the system. So the main character is kind of oscillating uh, back and forth between embracing radical love and trying to survive means to get sucked back into the system. You know, it's just this really big give and take. And so once I, I, you know, said, you know, read the paragraph, the room was very quiet. I looked around and went, okay, this is either really good or really bad. You know, Um, (laughs) the people were like, yes, that's what we're trying to say. And it was like, great, good, great. So that's our story. Um, and so that's kind of how it, it all started and how I came to be a part of it and how I came to remain <laughs> a yeah. part of it. <laughs> right. You, there was a day three for you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That was brought back in the next So day. you said that, I mean, the, it, the, the prison system is dehumanizing and, it's, and, it, and it frowns on expressions of sort of any kind, of any kind of emotional connection. And yet these guys have found theater and writing to be a tool for expression, which is, that seems very... I mean, I wish it weren't necessary, but that seems very cool. Absolutely. Um, just the idea, uh, some of the ideas that these, these uh, folks have come up with in terms of storytelling, in terms of finding moments of humor or joy in really, really hard circumstances, because it's like, you know, it's like, you know, like, is this going to be another play where it's black people suffering for 90 minutes to two and a half hours? Yeah. Like, is, is that what we're here for? Not that those plays aren't needed or necessary, but that's, that's not, the, it's like, you know, it's like there's a I, Ice Key when he came out with his song in the 90s, today was a good day. People are like, oh, come on, man. That's not real. He was like, you know. In the hood, we have good days. Why are you all pretending like we don't have good days here? Like, like every day is the hard day. Sometimes well, and, nothing happens. And I also so feel- you know <laughs> to have a play to have a play that honors uh, the trauma and the reality of what that trauma can mean, but also honors how you move through it, how you begin to heal, how you deal with it and cope with it. And in some cases, you don't. In some cases, you do. You know, I, I also think that that's necessary as, as well. Yeah. So you've got thirty playwrights. How do you how how do you go? All right, this is the story we're telling. I'm sorry, your monologue doesn't fit this story. How do you navigate as a director the demands of thirty living playwrights? Well, I'm not working with all of them. That's why. That's I mean, um, once the play was put together, uh, some of the some of the folks who wrote it are still on the inside. Um, and so, obviously, my contact to them is extremely limited. Um, Boris Franklin, who was, uh, he was, I was telling you about it before, he was uh, an inmate when this was written. He's since gotten out. He's at Rutgers right now. He's one of the performers in the play. Uh, because a lot of it is his story, personally, uh, and he was a big part of the journey of the story, having him in rehearsal is the playwright, uh, you know, between him and Chris Hedges, they're they're the playwrights that I work with. They're the ones I run things by. I run things by bars all the time. Right. I'll stop a rehearsal and be like, is this, you know, what does this look like? Is this real? Are we getting it? You know, and he's, the great thing about bars is that, you know, sometimes when you work with playwrights, um, they're, they're, uh, it's really hard for them to let things go. Uh, but, you know, Boris is really, really clear about when something needs to stay. I was going to cut a character. And his response was like, no, it's essential. I'm like, you only meet this character once. He's like, yes, but without that character, the system can't do what it does. I was like, okay, great. And there are other times where I'm like, I think we can cut this line. He's like, great, cut it. You know? Yeah. So he's, he's really flexible in a really, really great way um, and very open to the process. And I think, tr- I think he trusts me that I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to come in and just, you know, slather my art all over his work you know like 
here I come with my bucket of art and my MFA degree. <laughs> you know, it's like, Rio, come on. <laughs> There's nothing worse than directorial slather. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I left some art behind the... <laughs> oh, behind the... hang on. You got a little art on your face. I'll get yeah, that. Yeah, let me just get that off of you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got a little excited. <laughs> you know, um, it's like... Yeah, I do get that. What, uh, well, and that's great. It's a collaboration. It, exactly. Can you talk more about Boris, who 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 started theater in prison and is now out doing it? How he how he approaches his work? I don't know if this is how he actually thinks because I've never spoken to those about about him with it. But when he speaks, he is so informed in what he knows. He doesn't seem intimidated by what he does not know. Um, and so he's got the prison experience, and he, you know, no one can speak to that the way that he can. Not even Chris can, even though Chris has much experience working inside the prison system. He was never an inmate, and he was certainly never an inmate of color. Um, and so when Boris comes in, he waits to be invited into the conversation. Um, every once in a while, he'll dive in, but usually he'll wait to be aside, and if you know, and he's very direct in answering it. And then if it becomes a question about reality versus what works dramatically, um, sometimes he will push for what's real, but more often than not, he will yield to what's going to, what he thinks will be dramatically helpful. Um, so that's kind of how he works in as an actor. Uh, like we did a, a scene for the first time and it was like 40% off book. I was like, what? <laughs> wow. I don't, I don't, you know, there are, Actor, actors I didn't work with who were off book this early. You know what I mean? Um, and what he did that was so fascinating, you know, um, we're doing a very intense scene that, that he's in towards the end of the play with the main character who's essentially himself, you know, um, the character who's based on him. And uh, when he began to read the lines, there was no push. There's, you know, sometimes when you watch performers perform, you can see them trying. Um, and with him, he spoke as if it was two people speaking in a hallway. Yeah. He didn't raise his voice once. And he just had this conversation, you know, and there's one moment where it got intense, and I remember I, I actually pushed him a little bit to give a little more um, because it was, I mean, natural is the only word that comes to mind. It's a terrible word to describe anything. Yeah. Um, but the way that I'm talking to you now, you know, like I'm, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. Right. You know what I mean? Like I'm You're not acting. You. <laughs> yeah. You're just that's being. The way, they're just being, and that's the way that he began the conversation. It was extraordinary to watch someone who hadn't had that kind of experience do it. And then it's fun because, you know, he, become, he becomes very aware about where he's standing or how he's standing. You know, but like he cheat out, and he's like, I, first I had to explain to him what that meant. He didn't know what cheat out meant. You know, or thank you, 10. That was like, he, he, we sat in rehearsal for the first day, and we did that. And the third time, he goes, y'all keep saying that. What does that mean? <laughs> it was like, oh, that's right. You don't know what that is. And so we, we right. tell him, you know, it's a way of acknowledging and doing that. And he goes, oh, it's like a verbal contract. I, I was just saying it without thinking about it. I'm going to be more aware now. It's like, I'm agreeing to something. <laughs> so... <laughs> Hi, this is Octavius Solis, longtime Bay Area playwright, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast. 
Where can you RSC the RSC? Our last live performance of this spring 2018 begins on May 31st at the Pittsburgh Public Theater, where we'll be doing William Shakespeare's long-lost first play abridged for four and a half weeks until July 1st, 2018. We have a bunch of performances of the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged, revised, and the ultimate Christmas show abridged, scheduled for this fall of 2018, which we hope to get online just as soon as we can. You can see us online, reducing Wagner's Ring Cycle, the first five seasons of Lost, and Shakespeare's plays for the TV game show Jeopardy. And you can see us on your bookshelves or coffee table if you purchase Pop-Up Shakespeare, illustrated by the magnificent Jenny Mazels and on sale worldwide. As always, the very best way to stay up to date about all of our worldwide performance dates is to sign up for the Reduced Reader, our email newsletter. Go to ReducedShakespeare.com and click on the link to subscribe and check out our touring page for specific box office venue and ticket information. And now back to my conversation with director Jarrell L. Henderson talking about his world premiere production of Caged, which opens this week. Tell me more about Caged, because you said it has moments of humor. You were also saying it has this beautiful musical moment that expresses a kind of thing that happens in prisons that that is not really supposed to happen. Yeah, one of the things, uh, this is uh, as Boris was sharing during one of the workshops, one of the ways that you are uh, punished when you're in prison is that you're not allowed, you're not really allowed physical contact, you're not allowed touch, you're robbed of, of human touch for the most part. And also, uh, you mourn on your own. One of the lines in the play is like, you gotta, if you got grief, you got to grieve on your own. Because this is already a house of grief. You know, everyone's in here. I was already grieving about something. So, and uh, Boris and Chris would tell stories about, you know, Chris is an emotional guy. So we'd begin to cry during the group and they would laugh and laugh at him, you know, what I mean? and, you know, cause he was crying. And so he was like, you know, cause you don't do that in here, man. He, he could do that. Um, and so, you know, there's a moment in the play in which once Omar, you see Omar out, he, you know, you hear how he hasn't been able to really adapt. And you see him get sucked back into the prison. And once he's in the prison, you watch him be, become stripped of his humanity once again. Mm-hmm. He's kind of already been through this process. Um, and you watch it happen systematically, little by little, how pieces of himself are taken away from him. And so uh, something happens in the play that is a direct consequence of something that he did when he was getting sucked back into the game. And it costs a family member their life. You know, And he has to deal with the fact that, that isn't, it's directly related to what he did. It would not have happened. It probably would not have happened if it hadn't been for him. And he has to deal with that, and he also has to deal with another great loss. And so he begins to numb himself. He begins to become numb, uh, which is one of the ways that you can fully lose yourself, lose your humanity. And this older inmate, it's not a moment of sexual exploitation. It's not a moment of romance, which they're connecting romantically. It, It is a moment in which another human being who has no stake in this other human being's happiness except he wants to give him something that will help him remain human, um, lifts him up. And it's not a hug. It's not an embrace. He's holding him up because uh, Omar cannot hold himself up at that point, Omar being the main character. Um, and at this moment, there's blues music playing. It was based on um, a gentleman who's still alive and in prison, and he plays blues music for people who are in mourning. Uh, he'll stay outside of their cell and just play a blues song for them. Um, and this moment of like blues and fuse, you know, one of the things I spoke about in the first day address, which you're, you as an actor are familiar with, um, when I wrote my first day address, it was kind of like, why did we all gather here? Why are we all here now to tell this story? And one of the things that it's like, you know, 
for that, that is an image that I cannot think of seeing on the stage in which one older black man gives that to a younger black man for no reason. They don't get anything out of it. It's just, again, that's the concept of radical love. Um, and I want to see that on stage. I think it deserves to be seen on stage with all the plays that I've seen and all the scripts that I've read. I think that deserves to be seen. And you know what? If it's not a perfect play, that's fine. It's not supposed to be. We're doing this for Boris and for the, the other folks who are still in prison who wanted to reach, who wanted to share something that was human about them uh, and, and a, a way to connect with the world besides what they've done, which is what they'll be known for for the rest of their lives. You know what I mean? And we're doing this for the families of those inmates who are going to come see this show so that they can see something that their family has, something that a family member of theirs has done. Like, that's that's why we're all gathered here today. Like, this is what it's about. And if you're going to break narratives and stereotypes, which I guess goes back to, you know, the, the history of blackface and the images and the things that we were talking about earlier, if you're really going to shatter the narratives that have been constructed about people of color, it has to come from uh, uh, artists or writers who are outside of that community. And it has to be processed through a lens that understands and gets it and genuinely cares and, and, wants, it, and wants it to be seen for that reason. Sounds like a beautiful moment. I've never, ever, ever wanted to go to Trenton before in my life. <laughs> That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. Caged opens at Passage Theater in Trenton, New Jersey, this Thursday, May 3rd, and runs for three weeks until May 20th. Go to passagetheater.org for more information. Then send us your expressions of radical love via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also engage with us and other fans on Facebook or Twitter. You can find easy links to all these social networks at our website, reducedshakespeare.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and the RSC is now on Instagram, too at Reduced Shakespeare Company. Thanks, as always, to Free Range Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and Garage Band. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Abigail Fader Kane. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Octavio Solis, whose new play, Mother Road, will receive its world premiere at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival in 2019. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. I'm Austin Titchener, 594, 1780 seconds of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. I mean, it's just it's one of those things where, like, I'm reading the play and it's like, well, you know, we got some work to do. We got some work to do. We don't have a lot of time. You know, it would be really tricky. I don't know. Do I want to leave Chicago? And then we, I get to that moment and it's like, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. I'm going to Trenton for a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because um, I think the story deserves to be told and I want to be the one that helps tell it. You know, it's, it's my way of making sure that something that I accomplish means something. You know, like, God almighty, why else am I here? This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.